As we turn our attention to the scripture this morning, we're going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed. And then they recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. And they said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, being Peter and John. They called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, there's a little nod here for those of us that are a little older. Uh, you You might recognize it. But if you're younger, it's okay if you don't. The reason why we chose the sermon title Motley Crew is simply because we're going to be talking about Jesus' disciples, and they really were kind of a motley crew. So if you're familiar with the 1980s American rock band, don't worry. We're not going to have any musical samples. We won't put up any lyrics or anything like that. We're just using this to describe these people who were the closest companions of Jesus. Jesus certainly didn't choose the ones you would think that he would choose. He chose a motley crew. And so Heather and I, as we were talking about this, we decided that is the perfect backdrop for this series. Each week we're going to encounter a different one of these men, and we're going to try to understand through the lens of their life, how is it that we become better disciples of Jesus? I think we can say that those 12 that follow Jesus most closely are a good source for us to understand, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So we're going to be looking at Peter today, Simon Peter. How did Peter follow Jesus, and what do we have to learn from that? Next week, it's Matthew, sometimes known as Levi. He was the tax collector. So what does it mean to follow Jesus through the lens of Matthew? And then on the third week, we're going to look at Judas. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? What do we learn about that from the disciple Judas? And then the final week, we'll be looking at Philip. So that's just a little look ahead at what we're going to be doing in the sermon series. We hope that we'll teach you just a little bit about these disciples, things you might not have known. But more importantly, really what we hope is that throughout this sermon series, we're going to learn how to follow Jesus better. And if that has been accomplished then it will be successful. So we start this week with Simon Peter. The text that we read from Acts portrays this confident and bold disciple who stands up in front of the the Jewish leaders who have been trying to decide what they were going to do, and they tell Peter and John both, they say, don't talk in that name anymore. Don't teach in Jesus' name. Don't do miracles in Jesus' name because they were afraid of what might happen 
if, if, they, if the disciples had more power than the religious leaders. And Peter responds, we can't help it. Of course we're going to speak and teach and heal in Jesus' name. So he is, he is a bold leader by this point in the story. And clearly he is the leader of the Jesus movement. After Jesus was crucified and then resurrected, immediately after that it's Peter who steps forward to lead what will become the church. The author of Acts clearly presents Peter as a model for bold Christian testimony under pressure. But if you know anything about Peter, and maybe some of the stories that you've heard about Peter from the Gospels, he wasn't always that way. So we're going to back up and we're going to look at some of the Gospel lessons about this apostle. We're blessed that we probably have more stories in the four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about this disciple than any of the other disciples. So we thought, well, it makes sense to begin with Peter. So let's see what we can learn about Peter. Uh, let me turn this on. There we go. Peter was a Galilean. He was from the northern region, region of Israel. Uh, he was a fisherman. By trade, these are some of the things that, that we read about in the Gospels. We read that he was married and we find out that his mother-in-law lived with him. Just think about that for a moment, okay? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law in one of the Gospel stories. And, and we know that his hometown was a town called Capernaum, which was a very kind of backwater fishing town, uh, not where the educated people came from. So these are just a few of the things that we learn about Peter. The Jewish tradition is sometimes encapsulated in a book called the Talmud. And this is what they say about Galileans. So know that, that Peter was a Galilean. They were more anxious for honor than for gain. They were quick-tempered, impulsive, emotional, easily aroused by an appeal to adventure, and loyal to the end. Does that sound like Peter? As you read stories about him, what you're going to find out is that the place where Peter comes from and the type of people that lived in that region of Galilee, those are some, some pretty strong-willed people. And, and a lot of what we see in Peter the disciple has to do with where he comes from, how he's wired up, how he was raised, what, what was a part of his background. As a disciple, what we see about Peter is he's naturally the inquisitive one. He always wants to know. He always has a question. He's always going to be the first to ask. We also find out that Peter belongs to Jesus' inner circle. There were three. So there were 12 disciples that followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. But then there was this inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And out of those three, it is Peter who is often found to be with Jesus alone. And, and the Gospels tell us that, that Peter is often privy to some special revelations that Jesus chooses to, to share, that, that Peter is the one that, that he shares those with. So Peter sometimes knows things that maybe the other disciples don't quite know as deeply as Peter knows that. When Jesus walks on the water to the boat when the disciples are scared because there's a storm and they realize they thought it was a ghost, but then they realize, no, it's Jesus. And Jesus says... Come to me. Who is the one who's willing to step out of the boat and take a chance? It's Peter. Okay, so, so I'm trying to paint a picture for you of who this disciple is. He has always been an impulsive person. 
He has always been strong-willed, loyal to the end, brash. That's, that's who Peter is. And those are some of his best qualities. Now there are other things we see about Peter in the Gospels as well, which sometimes comes from the very same characteristics. When you look at those that you love, those that are closest to you, can, can you identify that sometimes your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses? But that's who you are. That's how you're wired up, so you have to learn to, to work with that. And here are some of the things that we see in Peter that Jesus had to learn to, to work with. Okay? Because Jesus was often angry at Peter, <laughs> frustrated with Peter's impulsiveness, frustrated with the fact that he was asking the wrong questions, frustrated that sometimes Peter just didn't get it. In fact, one time in the Gospels, Jesus rebukes Peter with these words, Get behind me, Satan. Seems a little strong. <laughs> right? That's what he says to Peter. On that last night of Jesus' life, those stories about Peter, so painful. Peter falls asleep in the garden along with James and John. He'd been one of the three that Jesus had said, I need to go away, I need to pray. And Peter can't even stay awake. When Jesus needs him the most, he falls asleep. And then the soldiers come, and, and we know it's time. Peter, in his impulsiveness, cuts off the soldier's ear. And Jesus gets all upset, and he's like, no, 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 no. Not now, Peter. You know, he just, he always misunderstands. And then later, Jesus has been taken off for his trial in front of the Sanhedrin. And Peter follows him and stands outside in the courtyard, and he's asked, once, do you know him? You sound like you have a Galilean accent. No, no, don't know him. I mean, wouldn't that be bad enough? And then he's asked again, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure, Peter. Pretty sure I, I, saw, I saw you with him. No, no, not me. And then again, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter denies ever having known Jesus. So the question might naturally arise for us, how do we get from this Peter that we read about in the book of Acts, this bold witness for Jesus, we can't stop talking about him, even if it means we'll be killed. How did we get to that Peter from the Peter who, on the last night of Jesus' life, denies that he ever knew Jesus? Well, I think in order to make that connection, we have to look at one of the passages in the gospel that's so important. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. And because this is such an important picture into Peter's life, I want to read it for us. If you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to do that. Uh, I also encourage you to, to hear the scripture. So if it's more comfortable for you, I would invite you to, to close your eyes and listen to this scene from Matthew's gospel. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say? that the Son of Man is. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Friends, that passage is our connector today. And so out of that passage, some of the things that we already know about Peter, we've kind of reviewed, and then out of that passage, I want to see if we can tease out what it means to be a disciple as taught by Peter. What are the things that we learn from Peter? Number one, we learn that we are not defined by our mistakes, but by our call. Peter had many mistakes in his life. He was messy, just like the rest of us. I mean, you know, one of the things I've learned to say after I turned 40 years old was this is the whole package, okay? You get it all. You get the good, you get the bad. You get the beautiful, you get the ugly. You get the comforting, you get the terrifying. It's just, that's who we are. We're, we're people and, and we're the whole package. And out of that, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss it bad. Okay, so from Peter's life, we, we are able to see, particularly in the gospel accounts, that Peter sometimes missed it. Sometimes he made terrible mistakes. But that wasn't what defined him in terms of following after Jesus. He wasn't defined by his mistakes. He was defined by the fact that Jesus called him. And, and the same is true for us. Isn't that good news? That we're not defined by our mistakes. We're defined by our call and what God has uniquely equipped us to do. Secondly, what we, we see is that Jesus, Jesus chooses to see our potential. Repeatedly, Jesus rebukes Peter. No, 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 not now, Peter. No, 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 that's not right, Peter. No, no, no. And yet, Jesus still includes him in his inner circle. One of the stories in the gospel that's so powerful is when Peter chooses to, to be brave and ask Jesus that question. So Jesus, how many times must I forgive? And he thinks he's being generous, right? He says, seven times? That seems like a lot. Have you ever had to forgive somebody? You should be shaking your head, yes. Right? You have. That's called life. Does seven times seem, seem like a lot to forgive? I mean, if you think about it from your own personal experience, seven times seems like a lot. Because this is sometimes what I hear myself saying around forgiveness. I'll say, you know, you mess up once, that's, that's okay. But you mess up twice, that's my fault. I shouldn't have let you do that to me again. Twice. Sometimes even twice feels like a lot. And so Peter, he's being generous to Jesus. He's like, don't you think, Jesus, like seven times? And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. It depends on your translation, which one you read. But one translation says, you know, 77 times. Another translation says 70 times seven. Either way, you know what it means? Stop counting. <laughs> I mean, if you get to 77, you should stop counting. Wow. That's what Jesus, or Peter asked Jesus. 
And Heather and I were wondering this week if he asked him that question because he was really kind of secretly worried that Jesus' patience with him was going to run thin. She's like, how many chances do I have, Jesus? And, and what we see in Peter's life is that out of all of that, what Jesus chooses to see about Peter is his potential. And so it is with us as well in our life of discipleship. We're not defined by our mistakes, friends. And Jesus still chooses to see our potential. Finally, I want to go back to one of the phrases that was in this gospel lesson that I read for us from Matthew chapter 16. What Jesus says to Peter is, I give you the keys to the kingdom. How many of you have heard some of the, the jokes that we pass around? We'll say, well, when they got to the pearly gates up in heaven, and who's sitting there? Who's always sitting there? Peter, right? From this passage, somehow we have, we have uh, come to believe that Peter's the one who holds the keys, the access, right? That Peter decides who's in and who's out. Well, it kind of does say that, right? Jesus says first, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to you, Peter, I give the keys to the kingdom. How many of you remember the first time a parent said, here are the keys? Right? You know what that means? Yeah. Right? That's power. That's access. And so we see this phrase, the keys to the kingdom. And what we learn in Peter's life, they don't come from power. They come from grace. Out of the 12, friends, which disciple needed the most grace and lived to tell about it? Surely Jesus needed, or Judas needed the most grace. And sadly, as we'll see in a few weeks, he never had the chance to receive that. I am a person who believes that Jesus could have forgiven even Judas. But Judas chose to end his life before that could happen. So, of course, Judas probably needed the most grace. But beyond that, no disciple could have needed more grace than Peter did. Not once, not twice, but three times. When Jesus' life hung in the balance, Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. He had been the closest to Jesus. And he said, I don't know him. And it was to that one that Jesus says, you are the rock, Peter. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Friends, the keys to the kingdom do not represent power. They represent our deepest self-awareness that without grace, we would have no access to the throne of God. In today's text, from Acts, the Pharisees are left wondering what they're going to do with unafraid men. You know, it's actually scarier to have to deal with people who are unafraid than it is to deal with people who are afraid. Peter and John really didn't care what the consequences were anymore. And the Pharisees were having to measure, how is it that we're going to deal with them? Because they're not afraid. 
The text points out in verse 13 clearly, these are ordinary men. That's what they recognized. They weren't rabbis. They didn't have theological training. They didn't have credentials. They don't wear a stole. Okay? They're just ordinary folk. They didn't have any training in public speaking, and yet they spoke so powerfully. They spoke the truth without regard to prevailing social, political, and religious opinion. That's what you can do when you're unafraid. In fact, what Peter and John say is that we won't be silent because we can't be silent about what we have seen and heard. What an incredible witness. So I want us to pause for just a moment today, particularly as we think about coming to the table and just let the truth of this sink in for you. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know this to be true? Grace changes everything. It changes everything. Peter holds the keys of the kingdom precisely because he doesn't deserve it. And so do you. He knows that Jesus never gave up on him. And so he is convinced that Jesus won't give up on us either. With that truth, Peter can face whatever comes his way. And so can we. I hope that this will be good news to you today, my friends. But this is where I would leave us as we prepare to come to the table. Jesus takes us right where we are. We don't have to meet any prerequisites in order to come to this table. It's an open table. And the invitation is extended to anyone who would respond to it. Yes, Jesus takes us right where we are. But here's the good news. Jesus loves us too much to leave us there. Amen.